And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here along with the GM, Randy Mueller. Good morning, Randy. Good afternoon to everybody else. Good evening whenever you're listening. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. Always good to be on the show every week. I get fired up. It seems like the further we get into these playoff scenario type things, it, it gets me fired up. So I'm ready to go for sure. And of course, the big news everyone's talking about, the Heisman Trophy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not what it used to be, is it? You know, it, it's a, it's sad. Yeah, it's not. It's kind of it's kind of evolved into a sideshow, really, of of yeah. propaganda, and you know, colleges now start these Heisman yeah. runs for their players sometimes a year early. I mean, and we know what social media can do, and yeah, it's a popularity contest. But you're right; it's not what it used to be. I did want to ask you though, as Jaden Daniels is a prohibitive favorite to win it, and and Michael Penix is second out of U- University of Washington, which is near where we live. So I've I've watched Washington more than a lot of the other teams. Um, I'm just curious about him. We talked about Jaden Daniels last week, or maybe it was the week before, uh, and you had him right behind Caleb Williams among the quarterbacks coming out in the draft. What about Penix? How do you see him as a pro before we get to all the, the NFL stuff going on? I'm just curious. Well, I think Penix has had, obviously, a long career. People that listen to the podcast probably know he started at Indiana. And the thing that concerns me most about him, well, there's two things. One is he, he's been injured a lot. And that yeah. factors into NFL evaluations. You're talking about two ACLs, a clavicle, a yeah. couple other things. I think four of his six seasons have been you know, cut short by injury. So yep. that's definitely an issue. Um, I think he's a good player. I don't put him in the category of those top three guys that we talked about. Um, and that's the North yeah. Carolina kid, Jaden and Caleb. Um a little longer delivery, which is really hard to sort out for evaluators. I'll be the first to admit. The left-handed quarterback is a bit of a mystery, even for those of us that have done it 24-7 for 40 years. It's a, it, I, I, you'll know the answer to this, and I'll just throw this out there. I saw on social media a couple weeks ago, somebody had reversed the video. I'm assuming this is, is somebody yeah. can do this. Yeah, yeah. They reversed the video and made him into a right-handed passer. Outstanding. And so every, every throw he made, it made you think, gosh, this guy's right-handed. And I'm going to be honest. I thought he was better. <laughs> I, thought the, <laughs> yeah. I thought the ball came out a little better. I thought it came out clean. It wasn't such a long. So so is there an awkwardness that comes with evaluating the left-handed quarterback? I don't know. I asked a couple people that I trust, and they said the same thing. They said, yeah, I, I'm never. These are NFL people that have been around forever. I struggle with left-handed releases and deliveries. And it's just because it's a little bit awkward for our mind. So it tells me it's more of our brain than anything else. When you saw it, if you'd have seen this video, Mike, of, of him as a right-hander, you'd say, oh, gosh, this is outstanding. You know. So it really threw me for a loop. 
my youngest son was a left-handed high school quarterback. I should have got that technology. He'd be, probably be a big yeah. prospect. Oh, my gosh, well, this right-handed yeah, quarterback. <laughs> you might not be doing the show. You might have your own show. Yeah. No, yeah. But it's funny you say that on left-handers because we're going to – we got a lot of way – we're going to get into the meat of the show. But that that sends me back. I believe – so I was covering the CX when they drafted Brock Heward out of University of Washington as a left-handed yeah. thrower. I drafted him. I was there. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I can't remember. I That was sort of during that period – was that 98? It was when Holmgren came, so it was Holmgren came in. So yeah, uh, yeah. So I never really knew if who was behind that, if it was whatever. But yeah, that eval probably you had to take a left-hander then too. (laughs) Yep, it's it's an interesting thing, and it's it really tests your mind and your brain and everything. So uh, to answer your question, I think Penix for me, when you consider all of the above, including the medical stuff, you know, you're probably looking at a second or third round guy, to be honest with you. I think a lot of people thought of him as a first rounder and I'm not so sure I didn't either. Um, But after you really dig in deeper and again, the NFL teams are going to go way deeper than even you and I talk about. I think you're probably looking at, you know, a, a second level type player. Okay, probably the same with Knicks, to be honest with you. The Oregon guy gets a lot of, there's a similar path of a career there. When he was at Auburn, and I'm talking about Bo Nix, the Oregon quarterback, who's one of the finalists at the Heisman Award as well. He wasn't highly thought of at Auburn at all. In fact, he kind of failed at Auburn before he transferred and had kind of been benched and, and looked over and... Obviously, the system at Oregon has a lot to do with with all of these quarterbacks, but him in particular. And he's had a really yeah. good year. But I don't know. Uh, I happen to see him in the same game and the same time as Caleb Williams. And for me, there wasn't really anything to talk about. Um, yeah. I like Bo Nix, but I think he's probably uh, in the same Penix bucket as second, third, you know, maybe yeah. even a fourth round pick type guy. All right. So we put that to bed, the Heisman Trophy. Uh, but mostly I'm interested in that, the type of evaluation off of the players. Usually we lead in and talk about the Thursday night game. Man, Patriots over over uh, Patriots over Steelers. I actually, I actually left and went to the gym during the second half of that. I was watching it on my phone, but it was like, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I don't have a ton to say off of that other than it was kind of sad. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'm kind of always been a stickler for high level perfection for execution the nfl is the best in the world and when i see less than that it kind of it just taints the product for me and again these teams are obviously good nfl you know caliber players for the most part but it just it didn't happen for me either i i hate disparaging teams because it's hard to win a game but i thought pittsburgh way underachieved in my opinion and this is the only thing i'll say about the game pittsburgh has way better players than new england for the most part, way better. And they played terrible. <laughs> I don't know whether it's Mitch oh. Trubisky got to gotta go or, or all of the above. It, I'm like you. It didn't interest me. The level of perfection was lacking. Um, just too many mistakes and too much. I think you can say it's sloppy. Maybe New England outcoached Pittsburgh in this particular instance. But for the most part, I just don't think I see a high yeah. skill level with maybe it's just the, the skilled players. And that's what bothered me. So here's what the interesting takeaway to me is much bigger picture for the Steelers because every year under Mike Tomlin, they find a way to be nine and eight and they don't really have to ask the hard questions, right? They've been able to run it back with Matt Canada or do whatever because in the end, they, they went to the playoffs or they were nine and eight. They've never had to have a reckoning in Pittsburgh. 
even with some right. real years of some dissatisfaction throughout the year, fans upset, fire Tom on trends every season, yeah. right, at some point. And then he writes the ship because he's a great coach and, a, and leader. Yeah. I think we would all acknowledge that. I mean, I, shoot, if he was available, he'd be hired in five seconds. And if my team yeah. hired him, I would be thrilled. I think yeah. Tomlin is a gold standard. but I agree. But that record has allowed them to not have to look in the mirror as hard. And so I wonder if this, if you were a Steeler fan, would you almost wish they would lose out right now? If you were a Steeler fan who thought, look, I want to see some real changes and accountability around here. Not necessarily that Mike Tomlin's fired. I think that would be ridiculous for me. Right. But I, I agree. But if they he's were not to, getting fired. Yeah. No, and he shouldn't to me. He's right. too good. But like, if they were to lose out, would that almost be a better thing for them to have to address it? Or with Kenny Pickett out, it all sort of gets muddied and nothing would really change anyway. And what needs to change? Anything for you? Well, I think you, you've set the table for Tomlin, and I totally agree. But I kind of feel the same way about Pickett. I don't think you give up on Pickett at all. I don't think Pickett can go away. He had nothing to do with last night. No, so I, I agree. Think he's an, yeah, I think he's an NFL quarterback. So when you say lose out, what does that mean? What What are we going to get from that? Um, I think in this case, the hard decisions have already been made. We know we're going to take a different course on offense. We know okay. that has to be brought into 2023. That has to be a tired uh, group of, of much like the Jets, just tired of beat, being beat down. And, and it's worked. We've given it plenty of time. So Tomlin has to, I think, make a play for a different course that sits that fits Pickett's skill set. And I think he'll do that. Defensively, I'm not sure that the same thing isn't due as well. It's a it's a struggle sometimes. Everybody says they have a great defense. I get it. Um New England kind of chewed them up a little bit last night. Maybe Mika Fitzpatrick isn't as healthy as he would like to be. I get it. I think they have the makings of some individual players that are obviously really good on their defense, but I'm not so sure that Pittsburgh can do what you said and just sweep it under the rug and not make changes or ask hard questions. I think they really have to ask hard questions. Some of which are we playing the right people and putting them in the right position so they can succeed. And sometimes that's hard for coaching staffs. Yeah. Defensively to me, they went seven straight games, not allowing 20 points. That hadn't been done since in 20 years for them. That was against Baltimore. That was against, you know, the Rams. Uh, that was against the Jaguars, the Packers, some teams that have played some decent balls. So I feel like defensively, yes, last night was not exactly um, – although, shoot, the the offense lost the game last night. I mean, I don't have – to me, defensively, I, I don't feel like they need a, a big shakeup. But I feel like – in fact, I think the defense would take a huge nutter jump if the offense were just halfway competent. <laughs> I think that's a good point, and I agree with that. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I, but I think this is also a test of leadership as well. And and Mike's never really been one to to accept change. I mean, you saw, we all saw how long it took to make the Canada Kennedy decision, Canada decision, and he's going to have similar things to to do with maybe some of the rest of the staff. I don't know. They're going to have to look at some players on offense too. There, there's a lot of heads down. There's a lot of people grumbling. You can tell that. Um, are these guys going to be part of the solution or are they part of the yeah. problem? So a lot of yeah. tough questions. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, so there's some tough questions in Buffalo, too, that, that can be solved pretty quickly in the short term if they beat the Chiefs this week. We're going to talk about that game as we get into our picks and some other stuff. What, what an amazing matchup. Uh, but this Sean McDermott story by Tyler Dunn, I'm sure you saw that one. It was making all the news um, yesterday. And it's about 20, it's a three part series, uh, 20,000 words long. Tyler Dunn's a longtime reporter who covers the NFL, does a lot of in depth stuff. He's got his own uh, site there uh, uh, that I subscribe to because there's pieces like this. Uh, but we have talked about Sean McDermott being too uptight, about his team playing tight as a result about McDermott scapegoating the offense, not taking responsibility for what's really wrong with the team. But now we've got 20,000 words of details really bringing this to life and proving it and painting McDermott as sort of these things and a lot more. You know, out of touch with the team was a theme of it. Cringy analogies, the idea that he would uh, invoke the terrorists who pulled off 9-11 as an example of a team coming together to pull off something improbable, um, obviously beyond tone deaf. Uh, and this is years ago, 2019. Uh, but there, was, there were a lot of stories from, I think, conversations with 25 people who work with the Bills now, uh, were, used to work with the Bills. And so... Obviously, big picture, Randy, they've had a lot of success under McDermott. He's been a big part of them turning this thing around. He has a very good record. But I just came away from this wondering, I felt this was damaging in a way. And I also mm-hmm. feel like he's obviously got a lot of enemies. Um, just made right. me wonder where this is going to go. I would concur with that. I think the biggest thing for me, and I haven't read all 20,000 words. I've read some of it. And I agree with you. It kind of feels like maybe the beginning of the end. Now, like you yep. said, if they can find a way to rally the troops. But this is also, I think it can be viewed as 
I told you so. Because there's been a lot of individual instances throughout the time there, especially the last couple of years, where I know you and I have felt like this. He hasn't taken any accountability at all for any of it. I still don't think he's taken accountable for the 13 seconds that happened two years ago that I don't think they've recovered from. So I look at this much like I would look at a quarterback. The best quarterbacks I've ever been around, Mike, are the ones that say, my bad. I played bad. I screwed up. I get it. I shouldn't have done that. Even in his kind of apology that I heard yesterday with McDermott, it was, well, I hope this wasn't construed. I I, I didn't really yeah, mean this. If people you misinterpreted know, it. Was, it. If you yeah, if, sorry if you misinterpret. No, 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 no. It's on you, me? buddy. Yeah, you're an idiot. You can't say these kind of things. How about just say that and be honest and be humble and just say, "Hey, I screwed up." This is not only tone deaf; it it reflects bad on every part of our organization, and I apologize for it. It was a giant mistake for me. He never said anything like that, and that was really concerning for me. That tells me that nothing is ever going to be his fault. There's no way he can put that blame on anybody's interpretation or anything. And he refused, in my opinion, from what I've seen, he refused to take accountability and just say, my bad. And my my parallel with these quarterbacks are, it's the same thing. The quarterback has to be the most honest person. I was around Philip Rivers for 10 years. I was around Dave Craig for 10 years in Seattle. I've been around some quarterbacks who I consider to be really good people. And those that say, hey, I screwed up. Those are the kind of people I want to be around. And if our leader will never take the time to say, my bad, I screwed this up, I think we've got problems. So I think this is, like you said, damning in that it's it's taken a bunch of singular, singular references and put them all together in these 20,000 words and given us a package of what McDermott is. Which is not, to me, a leader. And no, I, I think agree. this is a crossroads season, Randy, and his record... Ha- in normal circumstances to me, his record and the success of the team buys him a ton of rope, okay? The problem I have is you, Leslie Frazier's been pushed out. Uh, Ken Dorsey's been fired. and We've been talking about this. It's all on him. Mm-hmm. And if all of these other things are really a symbol that he has lost the building or never had it to the degree that he thought, that's probably going to play out on the field as, the, as we go along. But... Even if they finish nine and eight, eight and nine, if you were the GM of that team or, or the president of that team or the owner of that team, don't you have to be looking really big picture and not about whether or not somebody it's fair or somebody deserves to, to still come back? That's not our goal. Our goal here is what's fair to the organization? What's best for the organization yeah. going forward? How much of a long-term bet can you make on Sean McDermott right now? Uh, not based on, hey, he, he's had a lot of success. You got to really evaluate, is this the leadership we need for this team and for Josh Allen and for this whole organization as we try to win it all? Isn't that the question we're asking going forward? And isn't that doesn't that make you reconsider the stance that I don't think he'll lose his job now? I mean, what are we evaluating? Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. I agree. I think all those steps, I would say, all the points you made, I would say what you said. I agree with you because it's not about, well, if we could find one more perimeter receiver or one more inside linebacker. It's not about that. It is the course and direction of the man in charge and as much as anything, his style. And I think because he's always been a little bit of a rough around the edges and, and 
listeners shouldn't forget, this is the same guy that Andy Reid's fired in Philly and sent him to Ron Rivera. Um, there's been this kind of, you know, uh, cloud following him wherever he's been about the lack of humility and the lack of taking, you know, accountability for things that happen. But yet you couple that with this anal set of demands from everybody else. And that's why I think people come out of the woodwork and say, wait a second. And that's probably why you get 20 people in and around the bill saying what they said. That's, you know, that's, that's more than a trend. And to me, these revelations provide the cover, if any cover is needed, for that type of conversation to be had to make a change. I think uh, it's out there. This stuff's out there, and there's 20,000 yeah. words of it that's going to have to be dealt with for a long time uh, and forever. Uh, because I don't think Sean McDermott's going to prove it wrong by suddenly being a dynamic leader who's a selfish leader, leader a servant leader, right? The types of things you really look for uh, in somebody to, to lead a team. Um, is he suddenly going to prove to be something that he hasn't been? Uh, and all of these things that are written about, like we said, we've sensed them. We've talked about them. I mean, I wrote a month ago that the, they don't need more than they need something at the trade deadline. They need to, uh, to find out if their coach has another gear, that this tightness yep. that they play with is palpable. And they can't do that. They just can't be on the edge the whole time. I just don't know how he can sell a vision of the future right now. You're going to bring in new coordinators at this point? Uh, well, I think this thing, is damaging. Yeah. This is da- I just think this is really damaging. I think it's really damaging when you kind of forecast how the rest of this season is going to go. And let's just say you're right, and they come around 500 or maybe a game of above or a game below. As the direction for this franchise, you have given him ample rope to get this right. The 13-second game was two years ago, and where have we come since then? Well, we lost again. Now we have don't even have a playoff team, or we, we skated in at the edge uh, on the last Sunday of the week. I don't know if he's righted the ship since then. So it's easy to say, yeah, we need this or we need that from a player's and from a team building standpoint. But I agree with you. I think the course at the top needs to be altered. Uh, when you have a bunch of haters that come from within, that's problematic because as you know, they're going to pounce on you as soon as things go bad. And it looks to me like that's kind of what's happened here. They've pounced. And not only is this you know, Tyler Dunn, the, the author of this column, but it's all the people that came oh, out yeah. of the woodwork for this. And you can say piling on, but there's a reason that when you treat people a certain way for a long period of time, eventually, if you don't win, they're going to come back oh, at you. That shoe goes on the other foot real quick. Yes. When, when, yep. it's, when it's slipping away, instead of people running, rushing to prop you up, <laughs> they, they might trample over you, right? Well, the non-apology for the references that he made may have pushed me over the edge. Not that anybody cares about yeah. how I feel. May, may uh, have pushed me over do, the Randy. edge. We all do, Randy. That's why you're on the podcast. We care. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that to me as a GM or an ownership group, if if in its entirety, his apology was really a non-apology like the part that I heard, I find that hard to recover from, to be honest with you. That is a total lack uh, of awareness and being tone deaf to the rest of the people in your own building. And I just can't wait to see if it, if they rally. I've, I've felt like, you know, the Chiefs are vulnerable enough. We'll talk about this game that, hey, this mm-hmm. is a great opportunity for Buffalo, but it also could be the game where it all, all this just goes, be. falls flat and blows well, up in Buffalo's face. 
There's a lot because you talk about the Von Miller accusations. You talk about all the other things that have transpired in Buffalo. They have some positives because they're coming off a buy that we both said they needed for a long time. So they should be fresher. They should be a different team. They should be a little lighter on their feet, which I think really physically is what they needed as a football team. But now they've been now burdened with these other distractions that's created by the head coach and he's not sure whose fault it is. So there you go. I wonder if there's a, uh, you know, it was just the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. I wonder if there's an, a, you know, some kind of speech that could be given off of that before <laughs> the game to get the guys going uh, after the, yeah. you know, the 9-11 one. Probably should steer clear he of might, that, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, I was going to say, he might want to steer clear steer of clear. anything controversial, but he may not even understand that it was controversial. He just thinks everybody interpreted it wrong. Yeah, hey, sorry if you misunderstood my completely inappropriate analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Hey, if anybody uh, misunderstood that completely head. unforgivable joke I just told, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. um, all right. So it is sort of that time of year, though, Buffalo, or, or you know, Randy, Buffalo, we've seen, uh, you know, the, the Athletic had a big deep dive on the infighting and problems in Carolina. There's been a couple of them written about Washington now and some of the discontent with uh, uh, what's going on there and Eric Bieniemy's addition to the staff and and, and I think there's some common themes here that are interesting to talk about, not just when the ship starts to sink at the end of the year, because lots of teams have uh, have issues down the stretch and it doesn't go their way. And there maybe there's even going to be a firing, but it doesn't always dissolve into these types of stories of infighting. And, and in McDermott's case, he's really the last guy standing. Like we talked about, the coordinators are gone. And so yep. uh, obviously he's made some enemies along the way, but- these similarly kind of source stories about the staff infighting in Carolina, the enemy stuff, uh, even throw in, I would throw into the same bucket a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Jay Glazer report that Wink Martindale and Brian Dayball can't stand each other. Uh, you know, and, and there's been, uh, I, I've talked to people familiar with that situation and shoot, all three coordinators could change uh, for the Giants. I see some themes here. One of the things that connects this to me is, in Carolina, David Tepper insisted on the all-star coaching staff. And I know other guys who've interviewed there who said that was a big deal to him too, that he, they wanted, uh, Tepper really wanted, hey, we need some bigger names around here. And so when Frank Reich puts together his staff and as Jim Caldwell and Josh McCown and Thomas Brown and all these guys who may in their own right- Dom Capers. Dom Capers, yeah. They all may be excellent, excellent uh, teachers and coaches in their own right, but as you know, building a team, Randy, isn't just putting a bunch of all-stars together. You put you fit the personalities and all of that. Uh, in Bienemy, in Washington, Bienemy may be a great coach, but he's not a Rivera guy, right? He's added into the mix, and so there's not the same necessarily loyalty or connection. Your feathers get ruffled. We thought they needed to be ruffled there. But same thing with the Giants a year ago. Oh, what a great job Brian Dayball's done. He didn't just hire his friends on the staff. He got a bunch. He went for the best guys. Well, guess what? There's not the cohesion. The first sign of trouble, these guys are at each other's throats, it sounds like. What do you make of that as a common thread or just this in general? Yeah, I I totally agree that the staffs are much like teams and it is all about team building. And you do not know what you have until you hit a rocky strip. There's no doubt about that. And these coaches have egos. They have, as we've talked about for the first 20 minutes of the podcast, they have egos. They have accountability issues sometimes. Um, I do think that in in th- they're different cases. I think 
in Washington, there seemed to be less faith that Ron would get it right. So we're going to go hire somebody kind of on our own that we may uh, think is the best fit, even though it might not be the best fit for Ron and his style. So I don't know who's to blame for that. I do think the Tepper uh, hiring of an all-star staff really is just another indication for me that this guy doesn't get it and yep. that it's really hard um, to build teams on paper, build staffs on paper. It's not about throwing together an all-star crew that nobody knows. I think you're exactly right. If you can walk into a room with some familiarity and you sit down around a table, you're going to have a learning curve that is way shorter and less risky than a staff that may be more talented, may have higher football IQ, but walks into the next room and sits around the table because the unknown, you just don't know how people are going to react. So when you build a team, you've got to keep that in mind. You don't want to take a lesser player or a lesser coach per se and and use that as their criteria all the time just because he happens to have familiarity but you've got to consider what's going to happen as as the decision maker what's going to happen when things go good and what's going to happen when things go bad i always use this mike as a this is exactly the first question i would ask on evaluating a quarterback for my years in the league when i would get around anybody who's been around this particular quarterback when i would go into a school a coach or whatever, I would say, how is he when shit goes bad? That's yeah. what I want to know. That's my first question about any leadership of anybody is how is he when the shit goes bad? And some say, well, you know, I, I, that's it. I've heard enough. That's good. Some, he's outstanding. He will point the finger at himself. He will continue to uh, bring people together and not tear people apart. He won't assign blame, that kind of stuff. And so, I think that's the question these owners have to ask when they hire GMs and especially when they hire coaches and then when they hire staffs and quarterbacks. How are they? Because guess what, Mike? Shit's going to go bad. It is. It is. The other teams are good. There's 31 other teams that are getting paid and are just as good as you per se on paper. So you have to be ready for these things and you have to look down the pike ahead of time to kind of sort out what might happen and forecast it. And sometimes when you build teams on paper with probability charts and some of this other garbage that that I see coming to the table, that you, you hire a GM who's going to sit in a room and pick players instead of having people skills and the ability to bring people together, those you're going to get bad results. That's just the way it is. It'd be like putting together your front office and saying, hey, we got Ron Wolf and Bill Polian. Hey, great. You think that's going yeah, to co- work great? That's going to be a co- <laughs> yeah. cohesive unit yeah. with those two guys? Yeah. You know, I mean, look, yeah. each one of them is an alpha leader of the team, right? Yeah. And so you, things have to fall into order, and it becomes then even more important that that top head coach that lead, is a true uh, special leader, right? Because it, it could be managed. This stuff could be managed potentially, but it would take a real special leader to do it. And the respect factor that has to be there as well. You talk about Dayball and Wink. There has to be a respect factor, and we have to be able to set egos aside. Otherwise, that is not going to work. And it sounds like we've kind of come to that conclusion on our own from the outside as we look in, that there may not be the same respect factor. I would have anticipated that a little bit in that, and I don't know Wink Martindale, don't know him at all, but seems like the kind of guy that might feel like he's been slighted for some of these head coaching jobs for a long time. Dayball, a younger, more ascending uh, person who kind of came upon being a head coach uh, probably sooner, and people might not necessarily think that he's 
deserving of that. So you have to anticipate these dynamics when you put staffs together. That's all I'm saying. Right. Somebody, I'm not, uh, look, I don't, I haven't talked to Wink about this either, but he may be saying, oh yeah, you, you won the Josh Allen lottery. Good, good job for you. You got the, you got the head yeah. coaching job. Hey, I've been grinding right. for X number of years. Those types of things right. could come into it. I don't know. They, they, all right. We don't know if it did in this case, but there's a lot yeah, of that I stuff. I have no clue. There's a lot of that type of stuff that is just natural human nature, right? <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot make these evaluations in a bubble because this makes sense on some chart. That's what I'm saying. And I'm not against analytics or probability or anything like that. I get it. But these are grown men in, in both building your team as players and staffs and front offices that have to be blended. So that's why I always start with when these GMs get hired, they better have some people skills because you got to manage people. That's the number one job. But that's the case, I think, in any industry. I feel like I have the confidence to go into almost any industry and give me six months to learn the people and and it could be successful, even though I know very little about building airplanes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think the people that are involved as leaders have to be considered uh, rather than some guys has been a scout on the road for 10 years and they, that team has drafted a bunch of hot players. Now we're going to make him in charge. Well, there's going to be a learning curve regardless. And guess what? The NFL doesn't really allow for a learning curve and on-the-job training. And that can be factored into every hire that's made. Well, when you're named the next CEO of Boeing, I will not cancel my flights because <laughs> uh, I know you'll be able to bring the people together there. Hopefully, I can get some stock options out of that or something. Um, nah, I don't know. I, I'm ranting. I apologize. But no, I'm it's just great. That some it's of great. this dumb stuff that it makes you shake your head. No, but it's really Le- interesting. Leaders are to- leaders. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. This stuff's really interesting to talk about, especially at the ownership level to me, because I I've, I've, have felt like the owners are uh, not easily understood or accountable. Obviously, they own the team. And that's going to transition into the next thing I want to talk about, which is related to all this Tepper stuff. Um, t- this week, and I, I wrote a column about it today, 
it was just sort of an initial jumping off point. But this week I decided, you know, dang it, I'm going to go through the whole league and I'm going to look at when every owner became an owner and I'm going to put down their one loss records because I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head the dynamics of every ownership group when this guy actually took over, that guy took over. Um, even this morning, I was thinking, I, you know, Rob Walton was seemed like the, the owner of the Broncos. It's Greg Penner is the guy. And, they, and actually in yeah. October, Randy, they formally designated him as the principal guy. Well, that just goes under the radar. No one's no one's talking about the owners to me enough. And and so I thought this is just sort of an initial accounting to find out, you know, things like, uh, you know, I, I realized in doing this, Randy, Stephen Ross in Miami, who I have felt is all over the place, yep. has a better record than John Mara with the Giants. I would have never guessed that. Now, John Mara's got two Super Bowls, but as we get more distance from those Super Bowls and we realize the role that Tom Coughlin and a sort of a playoff red hot right. Eli Manning played in that, what do we got with the Giants? Right? Right? But yet the Mara name uh, goes back to Wellington, Hall of Famer. We just have a certain image of what it is. For me, this was a helpful exercise to kind of go through and say, well, wait a minute. This guy, this, this guy, that. Um, I, another thing I noticed was that among the last half dozen or so owners who bought into the league, not inherited, only the Pagulas have done anything. These other ones, uh, now Washington and Denver is too early. Let's put them to the side. But Carolina, Cleveland, Jacksonville were the other buyers in. Shoot, they're mm-hmm. among the worst franchises in the league. Those are helpful nuggets for me uh, as we mm-hmm. sort of contextualize, evaluate, analyze these guys. I was just curious what you think. I pasted into our little uh, show prep here the what the records were, and people can find the story on The Athletic. But I don't know. Uh, to me, this is just kind of the stuff that helps me percolate in my mind for the next month now and think about different things. And we've done some ownership stuff too about the different styles yep. of it. Uh, yep. I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you got? Any takeaways or? No, I think, I think it's, it's a valuable tool for evaluating long-term effect of leadership for sure. And all of them have different styles. The first thing kind of tongue in cheek that jumped out at me was that Jimmy Haslam and David Tepper, are, I think 29th and 30th on your list and both came from the Rooney tree. So I'm giving the Rooney family credit for maybe they knew these guys would be a nightmare and that's why they pushed them off. And that's why they offloaded them because I've heard some stories about Tepper around the Steelers office as well back in the day that this is not a, it's not a surprise what we're seeing now in Carolina. I know. So I give Rooney's credit. My joke off of that was that the Steelers producing Haslam and Tepper would be like Tony Dungy's tree producing Rex Ryan's, you know, guys like that. They're yeah. totally unlike yeah. uh, Tony yeah. in any way, uh, temperament, uh, style of play, any of that. You would just never think that you, you would think, hey, let's get a guy who's been with the Steelers. I mean, they're the stablest organization. And then you get Haslam and Tepper who are all over the place. You couldn't be more all over the place, could you? No, I totally agree. <laughs> That's why I'm giving the Rooney family credit yeah. for offloading a couple uh, uh, that haven't exactly worked out. But then again, the Steelers have struggled a little bit the last few years. So I'm sure some of this is cyclical, f- without a doubt. But I do think it serves a, a great purpose in that these owners, just because they have a lot of money, doesn't mean they're going to be successful. And their style and the people that they hire to run their operation and, for the most part, ask the right questions then of them, I think is the key. That is the key, if if anything. Does anybody think Gail Benson is a great football mind? I mean, no, th- no, <laughs> yeah. But 
They have hired the right people and let them run the team and have really been a non-factor uh, in other than I'm going to support every way I can financially, and I'm going to hire people to ask the right questions if I don't know that. That's the difference I see yeah. is Steve Biscotti, to me, a very uh, astute person in my mind, he asks the right questions of his GM, of his coach, in my opinion, that makes them all better. Same with Robert Kraft. He asks the right question. No, Bill, we're not going to do that. We're going to, you know, keep Tom Brady. We're not going to move on him and keep Jimmy Garoppolo, those kind of things. So I think the questions that get asked and the mm, IQ of from a football standpoint that gets asked by the, the asker uh, are what's most important for me when when sizing up these ownership groups. Absolutely. I don't think... I don't. I I think almost none of them have a football have have great football knowledge, right? Almost none of them. There's no. There's no. Al well, Davis you'd probably go here. down to yeah to to Jim Irsay, who I think fashions himself as as a football aficionado because he grew up in it. Yeah, he, he I mean, I'm sure some of them do, but but, I, but for the most part, that's not. Jerry Jones obviously would. I mean, I think he's a, he's a different yeah. one. I mean, he he obviously played the game and has has come up, but he, even his, you know, he would probably be better off. Realizing what he doesn't know as much sometimes too. <laughs> oh, there's no question. You could do a whole podcast on that dynamic of owning that team, and and really, if if Jerry would rather lose doing it his way or win taking a back seat, and I think we know the answer to that. No, absolutely. And I, the other thing was to, to me, anyone who's done it for a long time and is well above 500 is impressive to me. Uh, yes, because yes. I do feel like if if. For most of the people, if if they got to be an owner of a team for a thousand years, they'd probably be five hundred at the end of it, just the, the, through the ebbs and flows of this. And you look at, well, I think look the, at Virginia McCaskey. That's for what example. I was going to say. She's yeah, the yeah. longest tenured. She's got over six hundred games, and she's yep. four games over five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> and you can even see Robert Kraft is way above five hundred, but we can see like. He had an amazing run with these guys, and I'm sure if he got to own the team in another hundred years, he probably wouldn't be uh, terrible at it. But uh, but we can see that coming back to, to earth a little yeah. bit, right? You're if just he owns it gonna... another ten. He owns it another ten. This might be closer to five hundred. Yeah, that's why Steve Bashotti is kind of interesting to me because yep. they haven't had. I mean, Lamar Jackson's a good quarterback. They've had Joe Flacco was a good quarterback at different times, but they haven't mm -hmm. had the Peyton Manning type guy who just wins a lot of the games for you. You know, yep, and they have I had agree. a formula for winning. Bashadi's sixty games over five hundred, and his first head coaching decision was to hire John Harbaugh, who had never been a coordinator at any level, offense defense, never been an offensive defense coordinator in high school that I know of, college, mm -hmm. pro. Mm -hmm. That's not the normal formula, Randy, to find a leader of your team. And he he hired somebody like that who's been who's got one of the best records in the league since he's been there. I think that's impressive. John was a special teams coordinator, and yeah, sometimes no, I know, but you not do look at defense. those guys. Yeah, you, sometimes you look at those special teams guys a little different because other than the head coach, the next person in line that speaks to the team most often is the special teams coach. He speaks to everybody all the time. So I see it. But yes, you're right. The other thing that gets left out in, in Bashadi is, and, I, and I'm not sure that he's not the shining light in this top 10 group. And, and I think he's, what, fourth yeah. on your list. His his sidekick during this whole time, Ozzie Newsome. Oh, Ozzie yeah. Newsome's Hall of Fame administrator and player. So that that's yes. one for me that that I would think Ozzy is was a cohort of mine for years but might be a mentor in the same fashion, 
you know? That's know. how strongly I feel about him. I thought we saw some signs of that their team starting to crack a little bit as Ozzy's retired. He's around, but he's not as involved. And I kind of thought, mm-hmm. you know, they, there, was a, there was a little bit of a dip there for a, a minute where they weren't as good on defense and stuff, but it feels like they've righted it a little bit. And we've been, yep. you know, kind of hopeful for some of the changes they've made on the offense, you know, to, to take that step. So, uh, you know, maybe they are going to ride this thing out. They obviously have a good record this year. It's been, you know, maybe in the sort of post Ozzy era, I know he's around, but maybe it's not going to fall off as much as we feared it might at one point. What do you think? I totally agree. I think um, they're a little bit taking advantage of the no quarterback in Cleveland, no quarterback in Cincy, disarray in Pittsburgh this year. Yeah. Um, I don't think their drafts, uh, I think their draft and the narrative that the media paints on them always gives them a pass, no matter what. And I haven't really been yeah. sold on the fact that they've added a lot of talent, but this year's a little different. They did finally, and I think um, they made the, the statement when the season started this year, and, and Eric DaCosta even said, I have not done a good job at doing my job the last couple of years. And he was referring to putting people around Lamar. So I think that admission alone kind of moved them up in my book that, hey, Eric gets it. He's got to do better and they've done better. So I agree with you. But I think they might be the shining light on this whole group, especially when you consider Kraft and Belichick and where they are since Brady left. So yeah, if, here's exactly, just a note yeah. on this. One, one quick note. I think Mickey Loomis in New Orleans is going to pass a milestone here soon, if he hasn't already, to be like the all-time winningest GM in the history of the league. I mean, really? he's been there. He's the longest tenured. And it, it may not be in the history of the league, but it's it's a, they've won a lot of games there. Because uh, let's face it, Mickey was my right-hand man, replaced me in 2002. So he's been there 20 years. And he's fixing to, to surpass some really big milestones coming up. And- Ah, I think the Saints, Gail, Dennis Lauscher, their president, they have to be part of this equation of success in what's happened in New Orleans. Yeah, that is a lot. Now, Jerry Jones technically counts as the GM, probably going back. But yes, as a standalone GM, uh, that's a long time with a lot of success. And they've got some interesting decisions coming up after this season. Yeah, no doubt. Because Gail took over the team when Tom died. And then I think they went like 13 and three or something, three years in a row as yep. Drew Brees was still there. Well, guess what? You know, Sean Payton's yeah. gone. Drew Brees is there. You're left with Derek Carr and Dennis Allen. And I think uh, that's why when we, if I were to look at these owners as a stock that I wanted to buy stock in for the next five years, uh, you know, Kraft obviously is in a, it, with his age and everything and what, where they're going, you may not. Uh, you know, the Steelers have been a really solid bet, but, you know, maybe they're still good. The Seahawks with Jody Allen, I mean, she's going to sell the team at some point uh, through the... Yeah, but have you heard that come up at all lately? It hasn't come up at all because there's no, no. ticking clock on it, but... Right, that's my point, yeah. Yeah, What? because you think she can just ride it out for as long as she wants? Yeah. No question. Yeah. I don't think there is anything that is going to say, hey, I want to sell this team. Plus, it tells me how much money these teams are actually making as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. one last thing. So, uh, you know, Clark Hunt since hiring Andy Reid has like the best record in the league. But in those yeah. years before, when he took over from his late father, Lamar, founder of the team, founder of the AFL, um, they had one of the worst records when he got Andy. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing because I think Clark Hunt is, uh, 
I think you can be a good owner and have bad results because you could just hit on some of the wrong people for a while uh, or whatever, but that's kind of a, a huge reversal. And so I was kind of calibrating in my mind. Well, of course, we give Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes a ton of credit, but Andy Reid won before Mahomes. How do you see that in a franchise like that? Uh, you know, is Clark Hunt totally benefiting just from having Andy Reid or no? He's a good owner anyway, and here's why. Well, I think he's a good owner from the standpoint of he asks the correct questions and he's qualified to ask the right questions. So I know there's a respect factor there. So yeah. his criteria for hand, hiring Andy Reid made it a no-brainer. Andy and whoever else was there found a way to get Mahomes, and that's a credit to them. So as the as you move down the food chain, you can't just hire people that know less than me. And that goes all the way down to interns in the office. And yeah. there are some, some franchises that hire people at director level. And this happens in scouting all the time. I'm going to hire people that know less than me. Therefore, I'm never going to be, my job's never going to be at stake. So that is a crazy way to operate. I don't know if the real business world operates like that. I have no experience oh, yeah. outside the NFL. But if they do, that's a mistake because I want the smartest people around me is my belief. And I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. And I don't want to have complete autonomy. I want to have people that make me better. And the only way that's going to happen is if I hire people and actually listen to them and they are better and then pr promote them from with either in or out to somewhere else. So I yeah. think that's what the Chiefs and, and, and Clark Hunt have done is they've hired competent people throughout their organization. Uh, I think you would find if you studied the rest of their organization, even the non-football side, there's probably a lot of competent people there as well. So I find this whole topic, Mike, fascinating. We could do a whole show. From the standpoint, well, a whole show. I think you can write a book, write a whole book on it, on the criteria of ownership, all the things we've talked about. Put it into your bucket an analogy of six or eight buckets for all these owners. I yeah. think it, it's a fascinating topic. Maybe we're boring our listeners to death, but no, I no, I think it's really interesting. There's a couple letters that I thought were interesting to me. To, uh, Stan Kroenke is nine games under uh, 500 now, which think of where that team was when he kind of took over uh, yep. there, and they were you know, they had some really bad years. They were in St. Louis, and look, I love the fans of St. Louis, but. I think we've all can seen the the vision for this team and what they're doing in LA with and the new headquarters and the big economic development. I just kind of had that in my mind of like pretty soon he's going to on the whole counting that those dark days in St. Louis is going to be a winning owner. We like what they're doing with McVay. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see how long Stafford can hold on and stay healthy. But I think that was kind of an interesting one to me that has shown uh, some I don't know what the word is uh, gravitas or just some sort of uh, leadership out of a darker point to a brighter future. I don't know if you're buying yep. that, but that, that just kind of stood out to me that pretty soon they're going to be, he's going to be a winning owner. Uh, now uh, for the middle of the I past. am buying it. And, and my, my thing, Mike, on them is they always embrace change, whether it's Les Sneed making some changes in the scouting and some non-traditional fashion. Um, I think uh, Demoff, the president, is open to change. I think Kroenke is open to change. We know McVeigh is open to change. There's been a lot of change, and they embrace it. And I think that keeps you ahead of the curve for the most part. Those decision makers are not afraid to hire good people and and or or let go people that aren't. So I think that's the thing for me that jumps out about the Rams is they they will take risks. They understand and usually have a vision for more than six minutes, and I think that helps. Cronky and will, in fact, make his record be off the charts in another four or five years. Last thing I wanted to get to on this. So let, let's look at the, if you got that 
sheet in front of you, the bottom eight owners uh, for win percentage, I'd like to know who you would bet on and why. So here they are. Michael Bidwell, Arizona, Mark Davis, Raiders, Cal McNair, Houston. Uh, it's listing Rob Walton on there for the Broncos here, but it's Greg Penner. Uh, Jimmy Haslam, Browns, Tepper, Panthers, Shad Khan, Jaguars, and Josh Harris, Washington. If there's someone on there that you're going to bet on for the next, uh, uh, you know, five or ten years, I'd like to know who it is. And boy, just reading those off, Randy, I was like, mm-hmm. this is its own. Stacking them this way is really helpful because these guys, a lot of these ones are in the same boat to me. No doubt. I think the one to me that jumps out is the Denver owner, whether it's Rob Walton or Penner, I think they have a chance to ascend. One, because they seem to be very supportive financially, but not afraid to ask the hard questions, but stay out of the areas where they don't. And that's why paying a guy like Sean Payton 15 million or whatever they pay him is worth it. And they're going to stand aside and let him run this team. And I think that is a great notion for them. And I think it's the one thing that tells me that will set them aside. And I think they'll be at the top of this heap in another year or two, which Bronco fans, I think, should be thrilled. Wow, we have just, this is awesome, Randy. This has been a free-flowing <laughs> form, but but we got so much stuff in the GM notebook. We got a couple other yeah. items here. Um, the Zach Wilson situation kind of went by the boards for us today, which is awesome. There's so much stuff. How many times did we talk about what Aaron Rodgers is saying? Uh, that was leading the show. It's almost fitting that it doesn't uh, take up much oxygen here. Although, is there anything you want to say off of that? Obviously, uh, the story came out uh, in The Athletic. Diana Rossini was one of the reporters on that, that, uh, you know, they were going to, the Jets were going to turn it back to Zach Wilson uh, for quarterback, but he initially was reluctant. And then Aaron Rodgers was asked about it on McAfee because Aaron Rodgers has to be asked about everything on McAfee. I mean, it's just a, uh, when Rodgers retires, is he going to still be on McAfee? Because this has become a huge part of the news cycle every week. Uh, Any sort of takeaways there, anything new or just affirming what we already sort of feel about the whole situation? And do you blame Zach Wilson if that was how he felt? Um, I think it is not surprising to me that any of this stuff took place or was reported. I have said from day one that this Jets program is kind of a dumpster fire. Um, I think somebody clearly wanted to disparage Zach Wilson, but I'm not shocked they're going back to him because the other guys they brought in stink. They're absolutely awful. They, they They cut the quarterback who they deemed to give them the best chance two weeks ago. So that tells me right there, what are these guys doing? How can he be your, your option, your best option, and then you cut him two weeks later? So <laughs> I don't know. It's just crazy. It's just it, I, I don't blame Zach Wilson. I came back to that. I, I don't. I don't blame him. I'd, I'd want it out of there too. And you're the one that told me about his agent and his representative uh, group. I, I think they do get it. And I think they are pretty sharp. And so this kid's not shooting from the hip. I get it. I, I'm not sure I would want any part of this. And maybe that's a character assassination for me on my own behalf. But I don't, <laughs> it is what it is. I just, yeah. I think it's a total shit show, to be honest with you. And nothing, none of it surprises me. Yeah, yeah. No, I did tell you the, the representative for Wilson is known as being, you know, aggressive and smart and really going yeah. after it and fearless and not afraid. So we'll see uh, how that So he had to have a plan. He had to have a plan uh, when he did push back, if he even did push back. Maybe he did, but couldn't this thing, couldn't it have not been that strategic? And they, because when they go to him, it's not like he gets a chance to go talk to his lawyer and he may have just replied. He may have already had, just had an off the cuff reply, don't you think? Or no, you think he had thought this through and hey, if they come back to you, you tell them, I don't know if I want to do this. What do you think? 
I think he had to have a reply in mind. I would have. Had I been benched and been in his position, I would have been calculating my next step for sure. And if if his representation is as good as people say it is, then we would have had to have this discussion. What are we going to do if this? What are we going to do if that? So many people think they hire agents, the players have agents just to negotiate contracts. No, they are a partner. They are a sounding board. They are your mouthpiece. So there's a lot more to it than that. And this it's brought up to me more than anything. What's Robert Sala's role in all of this? Where where does he stand? Because I've questioned the leadership. I've questioned the communicating with the New York media. I've, I have I mean, this guy's changed so many ways, uh, kind of like a chameleon. And, and I don't know what they have in him, to be honest with you. I see no way that anybody in their right mind would roll this back again and just say Aaron Rodgers is going to fix all this. I don't get it. Oh, I know. That's a whole other discussion. Now, I got one yeah. funny one, at least that I thought was funny this week. So, of course, they had Joe Flacco on their roster, right? And no yeah. one's pining to see was pining to see more of Jack, Joe Flacco. But I was watching Kevin Stefanski's press conference uh, this week uh, after Flacco came out. You know, Flacco threw for 250 yards. It wasn't yeah. like it was played an, okay. Yeah, yeah, he played okay. But the reporters were asking Kevin Stefanski questions about Flacco as if they just had prime Peyton Manning had just come in and combined with <laughs> Otto Graham uh, to play the most amazing ball. They're, they're like, hey, coach, uh, watching watching uh, Flacco throw it around the yard, I mean, was it just tempting to to just sort of go air Coriel here and just really air it out? Because that man, he was really throwing it well. <laughs> it showed to me how bad the quarterback play has been in yeah. Cleveland and how bad it is around most of the league right now that really – when you put when you parachute in Joe Flacco off of his couch, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy can spin it! Wow, no, no doubt. And a year ago, yeah. we're like, Joe Flacco. If I see another minute of him playing, I'm done. I don't even want to watch yeah. the game. That is telling <laughs> to me uh, of where we're at at the quarterback position for the Jets and for the Browns. That Joe Flacco looks like freaking peak Peyton Manning. Yep, he was the savior for a week, no doubt. I think oh that's my what quarterback play is. And if we keep kicking ourselves for wondering why scoring's down and why offense is down, oh my god, look no fur, look no further than than the quarterbacks and the schemes that people are trying to uh, play around the league. I love the overthinking of it. Hey, uh, why is offense down? Well, it's a complicated combination of scheme and pressure packages. That's the guys throwing the ball. They've been they're playing, awful. For they've the been most playing case. for yeah. less than five years in the league, and they can't do anything. They, they don't know what to yep. do. So, and they've been force-fed college players that everybody thinks are great into the NFL, and that's going to be a struggle that comes with a learning curve. So, right. it makes you really appreciate what a CJ Stroud does. Oh, no doubt world. about it. Wow, awesome. Um, okay, let's hit the GM notebook before we get to our picks. I'll hit a couple things quick because I know we've gone long. The one that jumped out at me most was the Jags employee embezzling $22 million over four or five years, wow. and, and they finally figured it out. How does this happen? I, I, I'm going to ask the question, but then I'm going to say, this really isn't a football story. It's not about a football team. This is a business industry story where one guy was in charge of one thing with no oversight, no accountability, no audit fashion, who was pretty bright. Obviously, this guy was bright. It was never a matter in my mind that he wouldn't get caught. It was just when. So, but to embezzle $22 million and buy condos and cars. And I just found the, the story itself fascinating, but oh. I don't really connect it to being a football team and, and, and the inadequacies of the Jaguars. I think it's the ad- inadequacies of a business side of any business. Yeah, he, he wasn't pulling the money out of some player's paycheck or the, it's not affecting their salary cap. But I agree. I mean, talk about going big. You know, twenty-two million with an online credit card. And twenty-two million is a lot. Like, if you, I guess if you if you're going to do this, 
like to me, if he had done it for uh, 1.5 million, he probably gets away with it, don't you think? If he was just skimming a little uh, bit here or there. Uh, I guess. I don't know what the red flag was that got it. 22 Every million business, is a freaking lot. Yeah. Every business has audits. But my guess is he's so slick and slimy that he figured out a way, obviously, around that audit for some time. Yeah. But his, maybe you're right. Maybe if it's a million five that nobody, you know, cracks a smile. I don't know. His attorney said it was it went to gambling. So, you know, I guess if you have enough of a problem and you start getting upside down, I mean, you just keep going bigger and bigger and digging a bigger hole. But that is... That's amazing. 22 million bucks. Yeah. <laughs> 22 million bucks. And and then uh, I I was laughing. Uh, one of my uh, friends on social media said, Cal, and he, and he only bought the third best model of Tesla. I mean, you got to do better than that. I mean, I want to see a, a Lamborghini <laughs> out there or something for 22 million. Well, That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I also saw where he waived his right for a fair trial. <laughs> Apparently, he uh, must know his hand trial. is still in the cookie jar. Yeah, so unbelievable. I think yeah, some interesting facts there. But embarrassing another for thing the Jaguars. The, yeah, what else you got? <laughs> another thing in the notebook that people have asked, and I get asked this on the radio a lot nowadays, and I'm sure you do too, is what's the difference in the Packers, and really where have mm-hmm. they come from to get where they're at now? And I think the Packers are one of those teams that nobody wants to face right now. They are hitting on all cylinders. But I did watch a bunch of Packer film this week to kind of sort it out. And it's easy to say, well, the receivers have developed. And they have. Let's just face it. They've got receivers. They have one fifth-round pick. They have two, a fourth-round pick. They have two second-round picks. They've got a college-free agent. So they've gotten these guys from all over the place. We were saying they needed Hunter Renfro a month ago, so this is good development. Well, they've just, I think... That goes under the radar sometimes in that when players produce different, I mean, the Chiefs would love to have this kind of development, right? In their group, in their receiver room, they haven't got it. But I think also to be credited in Green Bay is the fact that their offensive line, and I always go back to this, they've played so much better the last month. They've been efficient. They've been on the right guys. Their pass protection has been better. And they've run the ball. For the first nine weeks, this team ranked 23rd, 24th in the league in rushing. The last four weeks, they're 13th. So they are running the ball a lot better. They've developed an identity with the Dylan kid now as their primary back. They run downhill and they run with physicality. And that's what his strengths are. He's not going to avoid people. So even though uh, the other running back, Jones, 33, who's in and out of the lineup with injuries, is probably more explosive. They have figured out ways to to fill his role with a couple other guys who are on their team, but Dylan's been the bell cow. So my point is it's not all about the receivers, although I do know they've developed and I can tell the difference in how they run routes, but really how they get on the same page with Jordan Love now. I think that's, and let's face it, Christian Watson is a big, fast dude. And he makes a lot of catches when contested at six foot three, they throw it to him even when he's not open. So he's healthy and now he got hurt again last week. So we'll see where this offense goes. But my answer and being long winded, I apologize. It's just there's there are a lot of things that have come together for this team, I'll say since week nine or 10 offensively that to me make them a threat going forward. Yeah, absolutely. That reminds me. Uh, last week we were asked in our, I get asked in these uh athletic roundtables we were asked for you know what team is going to be the one to fear down the stretch and i i did do the packers but it reminds me i haven't filled that out for today i better get that thing done sorry (laughs) assignment i didn't do this week's so i'll be doing that after the show what else you got in the notebook 
Two other notes, one of which we're kind of developing still this week. I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is going to play, but we all saw him got hurt on Monday night and his his ankle injury didn't look good. Um, everybody's piled on the Jaguars for making him walk 45 minutes to the well, hospital. He didn't have to afterwards. go up the stairs like they do in Baltimore. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, that, that, was, that was sad, but comical at the same time. But here's my point after this. As we tape this show, Thursday, he went through practice on a limited basis and moved pretty good. This kid, do you know, has never missed a game in his career. And maybe we've stumbled onto another Brett Favre from an Ironman standpoint. So that's my point is that maybe Trevor Lawrence is tougher, uh, more durable than anybody we have in this game right now. Suffice to say, maybe Josh, uh, uh, Josh Allen. But I've been impressed with what I've seen Trevor Lawrence-wise with mental toughness and physical toughness. And we'll see if he plays this week because obviously C.J. Beathard is being dinged up a little bit too. But I just, I'm excited to see a guy that is almost invincible. And maybe that's what we've stumbled on with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, that, He's totally invincible. That injury hurt my knee. I've been limping around for two yes. days looking at it. I'm like, oh my gosh, it buckled under his whole body. He's done. I, I would have bet he's done just looking at it. Somebody, and this is off the beaten path here, but tell me if I'm crazy, Mike, but somebody reported shortly thereafter the game, and I feel like it was an NFL network reporter that he had a broken tibia and was going to be done forever. And, oh my and maybe this is a lesson to where you can't believe everything you read. Obviously, that's not the case now, but I just caution people for, for what they read. Make sure it's it's from a credible source. My yeah. last note in the notebook before I get out of the way here is... This week was the 25th anniversary of, maybe this just means something to us in Seattle, but the infamous Vinny Testaverde quarterback sneak in the Meadowlands, that brought back instant replay. What would that year have been, Mike? 98. That was my uh, first year on the Seahawks beat. I'll never forget it. Okay. Well, was that, that was Dennis's last year as the head Dennis coach Erickson's of the Seahawks. last year. Of, uh, yeah. Yep. And, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you remember the game or not, but. We had the lead. They had the ball. They come down and, and really the last play of the game, a quarterback sneak from like the three. And Vinny Testaverde is nowhere near scoring. Stop no short. Chance you can see sc- it plain as day. Yes. And the referee's explanation afterwards, after they gave the Jets the touchdown and they won the game was, well, we thought his helmet was the ball. And so that brought back the instant replay discussion, which had taken a hiatus for a couple of years. I remember to this day, this 25 years ago, I was in a suite in the Meadowlands and a few of the league office people had come to sit with us and watch the game. Now, these weren't, it's not Roger Goodell or at the time Tagley booing like that, but a lot of rank and file people that I had known and grown with were in the booth. And I remember this to this day when they were leaving the booth after the game, they all had their head down as they shook my hand and left in embarrassment because they knew we had just got a game stolen from us, right? By the refs. Oh yeah. And so it was, it was, it wasn't comical. It was like a funeral procession of these people from the league office leaving our suite at the time, just with their head down, shaking it that, I'm sorry, oh. man. Everyone, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And this is like five weeks later, Dennis gets fired. And and the 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 degrees of separation that changed after this play and this bad referees deal, uh, a call, was crazy how it affected so many lives the way it did. Absolutely. You know, instant replay, of course, hasn't solved everything, but it came back. Uh, if, if there were a, you know how now they have like former officials on the broadcast, right? 
If there was one on oh, that, oh, I know it. Don't get yeah, me started. If, I know. Yeah, it. If yeah. there was one on that broadcast, he probably would have said, "Hey, they've done a, these officials have done a great job the first fifty nine minutes." <laughs> yeah, because that's well, all I yeah, hear from they, these officiating analysts is oh. cover their own butts. I watched yep. the end of the Oregon Washington game. The guys, the Oregon guys, not even close to out of bounds. They get caught, caught out of bounds. <laughs> the officiating guy in the booth's like, "Oh, they've called a great game today." I'm like, "Huh? What are you talking about? <laughs> they missed." The, then we will see the end of the. Uh, we see the end of the Chief Packer game, complete debacle. Uh, and the same yeah. thing, the officiating guy in the booth is like, hey, they've done a good job uh, for most the fact of this that, game. I'm like, what are, what are we talking about? What pisses me off, Mike, is that they've given these guys a voice now to to justify calls and that that's part of the broadcast. Now we have people, they don't even ask, they don't even have to be brought into the context or the conversation by the announcers anymore. They just blurt out like we all want to hear. Actually, I don't want to hear a freaking word from you. Just shut up and go away. I don't really care what you're saying. Bring on, let's have someone from the competition committee on there <laughs> to give the commentary. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. That end of that Vinny Testaverde game, I do remember because we we went in. I remember going to the locker room and there was this corridor there and the coaches understood the magnitude of the loss. And I just remember Dennis Erickson kind of turned and slumped and he put both hands up against like this locker room wall, almost like if you were being arrested and you had to put your hands on the wall, you know, like uh, (laughs) he he just collapsed almost into the wall and put his hands up there and just his head just fell and he had this huge sigh. And I just remember thinking, wow, I was like witnessing what, what it's like when somebody knows they're doomed. Like when you just know. So you want to be a head coach in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, Your whole livelihood, you know, (laughs) is just goes on one play. And so, well, um, 25 years ago this week, buddy there you go yeah i guess that means we're 25 years older now than we were then uh all right before (laughs) this show goes into 25 it's 25th year uh of this broadcast (laughs) here uh of this recording uh we've both pulled a right around uh 500 in our picks i had a three and a week last week so we're right around the 500 mark we've we've caught our way back uh what do you like this week i don't like the the games this week but what do you like I didn't find any that I have a nine or ten conviction on. I found some that I have a six or seven on, and okay. I normally stay away from the big games per se. But I'm I'm involved in the big games this year, and this is going to go against everything we talked about for twenty minutes on the yeah, podcast yeah. earlier, <laughs> because I like Buffalo getting the one point five one and a half points uh, against Kansas City. I think Buffalo against the Eagles two weeks ago were the better team. They didn't play like it, and they ran out of steam. But I think Buffalo's desperate. Now, and I don't know what this new revelation or these new accusations are going to mean to this team. So I'm probably an idiot, but I think Buffalo has more to prove and is more desperate. And so I'll have Buffalo getting a point and a half. The other game I like, and and I've seen a bunch of people pick this game as well in the same fashion that I am. I just think Dallas right now has to win this game against Philly. Dallas is a three and a half point favorite. I think it's the Sunday night game against Philly. And I am picking Dallas. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one, Mike. I sort of like them too. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that they, I feel like the Eagles have been winning a bunch of games kind of through moxie and they weren't always yep. necessarily, you know, should have or would have, you know, won all of those games. And sometimes these things kind of even out. They feel, they feel a little tired and worn down to me. You know, Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm has been mm-hmm. carrying a lot of this thing and their defense. Maybe not healthy, not 100%. Not 100%. I mean, um, I think they should probably bench David Carr at the NFL Network for his analysis on it. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, there's some truth to the fact that I think that he's on – Jalen Hurts is a little bit diminished and on some fumes right now and obviously didn't have a good game 
uh, against the 49ers and had some uncharacteristic probably misses and decisions for him. So I do right. feel like, you know, I haven't felt like we can totally trust Dallas, but the vital signs are really good. Other than Mike McCarthy having to have an appendicitis uh, or, you know, a surgery this week, their vital signs seem pretty good to me. So I think you're, yeah, I, I think you're pretty solid on that. What do you, are you well, worried about them yeah. just kind of melting down with now that they are crowned or what? They just have never dealt with prosperity. And this is one of those stages where they've been, they've been, you know, lauded and everybody's picking them and, and that's an issue. But I like Buffalo. I like Dallas. And the third game for me is a little bit, I think the NFC South has not been a good division this year. I don't think there's a secret to that. But this Atlanta Tampa game is a giant game because if Atlanta wins this game, I think it gives them a two game lead or maybe even a three game lead over Tampa. It And it kind of pushes everybody to the background. They have some tiebreakers over teams. So even though Atlanta is 500, this win would put them one above, but it kind of gives them a stranglehold on the NFC South. But if Tampa wins it, it puts everybody into play. Not only Tampa, it, it reels the Saints back into play. And so then it's a three-man dogfight for the last month of the season. So I happen to like Atlanta right now in this game, giving one and a half points to Tampa. And don't get me wrong, I don't think any of these teams are good teams. We watched Atlanta beat up on the Jets last week. And my I think my comment was a 13-day win over a, the Jets team does not mean you woke up on third base and hit a triple, okay? <laughs> I yeah, think you yeah. just had one given to you, you know? So yeah. I'm going to pick Atlanta, giving them giving a point and a half at home versus Tampa Bay. Yeah, I was tempted. So, uh, you know, one of the games that was interesting to me, I, I'm not going to pick it unless you talk me into it, but Jacksonville getting three at Cleveland. <laughs> Which has been known to happen. Yeah, my exactly. Well, last, week you ta- <laughs> last week I ended up picking the 49ers, so I was glad I did that. But um, <laughs> the interesting thing to me about Jacksonville at Cleveland is – C.J. Beathard's our backup for the Jaguars. And the idea of a backup quarterback and having someone who can go in there uh, and function and maybe even win some games like Indy's doing with Gardner Minshew, right? I understand Gardner mm-hmm. Minshew's a backup quarterback, but like they've got a fighting chance in some of the games uh, to, to yep. run their offense. And I have I was shocked that Jake Browning was able to do that. Hat tip to him. Yep. He did a great job for Cincinnati. No doubt. This Jacksonville drop from, let's just say, Lawrence has to miss a week um, to C.J. Beathard, is that just a total non-starter for you, that if C.J. Beathard plays, they can't beat Cleveland at all? Or is Cleveland I don't bad think enough? so, but I, the last I saw, Mike, C.J. Beathard was questionable as well, and he's been limited in practice, so I don't know who the next guy up is, but that's maybe what you're having. So, hey, What's Mark Brunel doing these days? I wonder if he, <laughs> you know, is he still coaching? Yeah. We can get him in there. Uh, for yeah. them, but so I'm going to stay away from that one. It just sort of interested gotcha. me a little bit in that. Hey, Cleveland is not trending in the right direction. I know Flacco, whatever this or that, but I feel like Cleveland could be a vulnerable team. I just Jacksonville, that quarterback uncertainty will steer me away. The, the couple that I'm going to do don't feel great about them. I've wavered on this one. Uh, the Chargers giving two and a half. I kind of feel like the Chargers might beat Denver by a field goal. Now, I'm a little worried that Denver's ability to run the ball, which you talked about in your column looking at the six and six teams this year, mm-hmm. could just play right into the idea that to a weak, potential weak spot for, uh, for the Chargers. But I think the Chargers' defense has done well against the bad teams. I think their issue has been— I agree. Their issue has been, uh, you know, when they step up in class and play on Miami, all of a sudden there's 50 points on the scoreboard. So I kind of think this is a manageable game for the Chargers that they probably should be able to win. Uh, I'm very interested in seeing 
the Russell Wilson situation after the three interceptions. I know he's played a more efficient ball and they found a formula. I just don't think that Sean Payton likes that. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I just will just see if there's a couple more interceptions in this game, what the consequences could be there. I think Brandon Staley, for all his issues on defense, at times has played a scheme that has given Russell Wilson some problems over the years. So I will do that uh, and see where that goes. Don't know how you feel about that. Do you like Denver or do you like the Chargers? It's one of those games where I could make a case for both teams. So yeah. I kind of stayed away from, yeah. from it just for that reason. But I agree with you. The Chargers do have a way of making a statement against bad teams. And yeah. uh, so, yeah. you know, these division games, you just never know. Division games are really hard for me because these teams know each other so well. There's no fear factor. And, and everybody's always desperate within its own division. The other interesting thing about that game to me was I think Sean Payton clearly wanted the Charger job and they weren't willing to make that type of hire as you and I have talked about. They don't want to do that type yeah. of a coach. And so now can he go beat the quarterback he wanted to have with the quarterback he inherited in Denver. <laughs> I think it'd be a nice right. little challenge for Sean Payton. So he's, he's done certainly a good job here in recalibrating that team. We'll see if they can do it, but I will just, uh, because it's two and a half, I'll do that. The other one that I may be crazy for doing is I'm going to take Carolina in the five and a half at New Orleans. I just feel like the Panthers have played a lot of these games fairly close. Uh, mm-hmm. and the saints are reeling in the wrong direction. I don't know if the saints are, a team that can rally and summon and have the get right game how do you feel about that yeah well it sure seems like a lot of people are down on the saints right now even new orleans people so that's a that's a it's a hard one for me as well it is a home game um i don't think carolina is is good they are getting five and a half points so you do get that if you pick them um i just i don't know i think new orleans is a team that's teetering and uh, maybe Carolina does rally the troops. Yeah, I feel like you know that all this stuff coming out about how bad their building is in Carolina. Shoot, maybe if we knew everything about everyone's building, we wouldn't bet on anybody, right? We wouldn't pick anybody. Good, good if point. We, <laughs> if we really had the inside, you know, dirty laundry on all the teams, you'd probably feel terrible about it. Even the teams that are winning, if, if they all knew all the garbage that goes on behind the scenes and the egos and agendas and all of that. Uh, you set aside that in picking Buffalo anyway, uh, and I'm going to set aside that in this Carolina case and just think that, you know, by the end of the year, they get one or two wins. They've got, they've got one of them already. Uh, I don't think they're going to beat the Saints, but uh, they've played some of these teams close. So in a week where I don't love a lot of the options, I'm not going to pick five games and try to get right. I'll just take a couple here and see how they go, and and uh, we'll call it a show. How about that? Sounds great, man. Sorry for us being so long-winded listeners. Looking forward to uh, seeing and hearing from you again next week. And let me just throw this out, Mike. If anybody out there has a topic or anything that they want us to discuss. I have people on Twitter all the time throw things at me. I'd love to hear from the people. So I think it's Absolutely. always good I'm to, gonna, to, give to, them to hear from our listeners. I'll, let me give them your cell number here. <laughs> 555. You can find Randy on, on X slash Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. You can find me there at Sando NFL. Thanks, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time. This was the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast.